Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 19 in our Bibles, and we're going to cover verses 1 to 9 today. And this is sermon number 74 uh, through the book of Matthew. And working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. At the end of the day, I just want Jesus' view on everything. And that's kind of what's been really cool about this series is we just have, I mean, like 101 different topics. And it's Jesus' view on every single one of these topics. And uh, we will be on a lighter note uh, this week. Our topic today is divorce. <laughs> was that, is that okay? Was that a good presentation? Is that okay? Come on, come on. There, I get a boo, I think, in the crowd I heard. No, no, no. Uh, what does Jesus think about divorce? I don't make this stuff up. It literally is sitting in the text before us. It's chapter 19, verse 1. And so I just keep preaching through the word, and all the topics come up. And I hope that you would be not weighted by this, but actually encouraged by it. And that it would bring a breath of fresh air to this society in which we uh, see a lot of broken families, sadly. Um, but that God can redeem those broken families in those situations. Praise God. And he does so, and he's doing so. He's done so in your life. He's doing so right now in our city. And he's going to continue to do so in the future. But we have to have a right perspective of what this looks like. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one, too. Little boy was attending his first wedding. And after the service, his cousin asked him, How many women can a man actually marry? The boy replied, well, 16, of course. His cousin was amazed that he answered so quickly. How do you know that? The boy says, easy. All you have to do is add them up. Like the bishop said, four better, four worse, four richer, four poor. <laughs> Tough crowd. Tough crowd. <laughs> Interesting statistics on divorce. Um, 42 to 45 percent end in divorce. 60 percent of second marriages end in divorce. 73 percent of third marriages end in divorce. And I would add, without Christ. Without Christ at the center, without Jesus at the center of your life, we've seen people step into a second family and redeem the situation and actually end up staying married and continue to worship the Lord. The Lord can do that and will do that. But this is on average. This is taking into consideration all marriages. And uh, we've even heard the statistic that half of marriages, even in the church or within Christians, get divorced. And I would say absolutely not. That's actually a false statistic. I would say those who claim to be Christians. Now we have how many people claiming to be Christians on the planet? Two billion people, actually, uh, according to statistics. That is 25% uh, uh, of the entire earth. Would you say are Christian? I don't think so. Uh, so if we take those who are real Christians and actually know the Lord Jesus and walk with him, that percentage falls way down. Uh, I would say probably around 10 to 15 percent maybe at max. From what I've seen in the church, of those who are faithful couples loving the Lord, walking with him, for them to have a nuclear bomb go off and end their marriage, you don't see it happen very often. In the United States, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. It's nearly uh, 2,400 divorces per day, 876,000 divorces a year, almost a million divorces a year. 
The average length of the first marriage that ends in divorce is eight years. And the average age for couples going through a divorce is 30 years old. And uh, when you look at this, a lot of it has to do with young families. Some of the most difficult times in life is when your kids are young. And also, when you're getting around, to the, 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 around the age of 30, sometimes if you're married younger, you start uh, really, again, just thinking through life and all of these different things. And sometimes we make very bad decisions in our early 20s. And by the time we're 30, we're wishing we could undo that. And it's plaguing our marriage. There's a lot of things that play into this. What increases your risk of divorce? Uh, they say people are more likely to divorce younger, the younger they were when they got married or moved in with their future spouse. Living together before married increases the chances greatly. Um, if you have friends or family members or coworkers who recently divorced, you have a higher risk of being divorced. That's being influenced by the peers around you. Um, this is interesting. Higher spending on both engagement ring and wedding ring has been linked to shorter marriage durations. Very interesting. That probably has to do with Hollywood, right? Our hometown, yes. Uh, um, uh, Mel and uh, Robin Gibson's divorce in 2009 is considered to be the largest celebrity divorce settlement in history. Uh, Mel paid his ex $425 million. Uh, wait, maybe, I don't know. Jeff Bezos, is this a bigger one now? I don't know. Uh, Britney Spears holds the record for the shortest marriage. And 56 hours, Eddie Murphy and uh, Tracy Edmonds was two weeks. Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphrey, 72 days. Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie, nine months. Now, it's fun to joke about these divorces, but we know a marriage ending, a family separating, is actually very painful. And uh, that's why Jesus takes time to speak to it. And I hope this portion of Scripture can bring breathe life into those who are married, those who are divorced, those who are single, um, that it would bring clarity and help to our situations. I really want nobody to feel condemned or overwhelmed by this talk. I want us to feel encouraged and uh, more clarity brought, and I hope it would bless your future. Um, God, our Father, is always trying to guide us in the best way for life. Um, again, there's with a crowd this size, there's no doubt uh, many have worked through the difficulty of divorce, and I want you to know we love you. We are for you. We're believing the best for you. We have all things here, hopefully working together for good, uh, to love and serve anyone going really through any situation in life. Uh, we don't want anybody to be feeling less than simply because the topic seems to pertain to us more than others in certain messages. Uh, but this message is for all of us. It's for me, too. And the Lord has a plan to redeem all things in the believer's life, and I'm thankful. Amen? We are in Matthew 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? What do you say? You guys okay? Yeah. All right. Strap on your seatbelts. Uh-oh. Uh that's First Samuel. You don't want to be reading from there. Here we go. Yes, Matthew 19, verse 1. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And the large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? For he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And as I said to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we stand for the reading of it to honor you and to remember your words. Lord, though difficult words to receive in our society, I pray that it would be refreshing to our hearts, sobering to our ears, and that it would encourage us, it would strengthen us to make right decisions in the future for your glory. Bless our time as we dive into your word. Strengthen marriages. Strengthen the future family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember where we left off? Peter was asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who has sinned against me? Seven times, Lord? And Jesus says to him, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then Jesus gives a parable, a story. Remember a picture of the king who forgave the servant of everything. Then that servant who was forgiven of everything went and choked the dude out for a hundred bucks who owed him a hundred bucks and said, give me back what you owe me or I'm going to throw you in jail. He didn't learn his lesson. We saw the great picture of forgiveness and love of our God, his grace, and how he pours unbelievable love. We talked about not counting, but forgiving. Our story picks up with Jesus finishing that talk and leaving the Galilee and heading to the region of Judea, and a large crowd followed him, and it says that he healed them. I love this. Matthew takes a moment, the author of this book takes a moment to show in verse 2 that the Lord is still healing. He just takes one quick verse and says he healed the crowd. It's really an amazing thing that happened. I mean, if, could you imagine if Jesus showed up right here today and decided to heal every single person's ailments, or took time to heal all the things emotionally and physically going on in our lives, mentally going on in our lives. Can you imagine? That's a big deal. The word would spread in Studio City. The word would spread throughout LA. There's a guy named Jesus in Studio City who is healing people. It would change us forever. Matthew just writes it in one verse, and then he moves on. But it's a big moment. Jesus takes time to heal people. He takes time with people who follow him. He takes time with us, praise God. Look at verse 3. And some of the Pharisees, after he had just healed all those people, came to him and said, How did you heal all those people? Nope. They came to him and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? These boneheads. They came to test the Lord. They, they, they actually, it says they came to test or tempt him. And so they actually formulated a question with their lawyers before they got there. Right? They sat down and said, we got to trap this dude. We want to get him arrested. We want blasphemy. We want to get him killed. Let's go and trap him. Let's figure out how to do it. They conspire. And Jesus just healed all these people. And they walk up and say, hey, we have a question for you. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, this question actually works for our culture today now, doesn't it? I could literally walk up to anybody, man on the street, with my microphone in hand, and say, is it lawful for a person to divorce another person for any reason? What do you think? Sure. 
What if they say, I don't love you anymore? Is that a good reason? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. What, what, what if they just don't like each other anymore and they don't want to stay together anymore? Is that okay to get a divorce? Yeah, yeah. Even if they have kids? Yeah, it's cool. They call it irreconcilable differences. This is every marriage. Every marriage faces ultimately irreconcilable differences. Did you know that? It's true. Every single marriage. We can't agree on this. Many times, potentially hundreds of times. Marriages don't last because people agree on everything. Marriages last because people choose to forgive. That's it. You say, I disagree with you, but I forgive you for what we've been working through. We disagree on a lot of things. Go talk to my wife. <laughs> she can tell you where I'm wrong in many places. And I probably am. Probably. <laughs> but they were trying to trap Jesus. First, let's talk about it. What does Jesus say about divorce? Look at what he says in verse 4. He gives them a clear answer. He says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not men separate. Interesting. Didn't, didn't the disciples say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Couldn't Jesus just said, yes or no? Look at his answer. He's like, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Let me just tell you what marriage is first. I'm going to give you the definition and foundation of marriage. I'm not going to even mess with your dumb question. So he says, let's define it first. And he breaks it down for them. He says, in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they're no longer two, but they are one. And then what God has brought together, this couple has joined them, let no one separate. There's your answer for divorce. So the Pharisees say, can't we divorce for any reason? Jesus is like, haven't you guys read? He combats them with the creation of man and woman, the first marriage. And again, we get the definition of marriage the way God made it from day one. He made them male and female. All of these words are found in what Jesus just said. Watch this. All of these words are found in what Jesus just said. He made them male and female, husband and wife, mother and father. These three sets are exactly as he says it from the beginning. A lot of people like to say, well, Jesus didn't talk about marriage. Really? He says it very clearly right here, clearly defined. And he's actually saying it to religious leaders who are challenging him. These are supposed scholars in the text. He says, let's talk about it then. Jesus defines marriage in only one context. Marriage has only been defined in one way. Man, woman, husband, wife, mother, father. We never see any other combination in the entire text or in creation. And any other form of marriage is actually sin outside of the defined plan of God. Why? Because it ultimately destroys the family template made by God. The best case scenario for every child is a father and a mother, a husband and a wife. And it has been this way for thousands of years. This is actually how we got here. 
This isn't groundbreaking new revelation we are on to in the 21st century. And I would even say, I know this is controversial, but I'll say it, it's okay. Strap on your seatbelts. With what's happening in our culture, we think that we are so revolutionary in the new styles of relationships and marriage and families. Look at all of our new ways. Look at all of our new ideas, and we all have all kinds of new labels for them. Uh-uh, au contraire. If you just read through the law of Moses thousands of years ago, ultimately 4,000 years ago, he literally wrote about all of these things that we're exploring right now. And the Romans and the Greeks actually explored it way further than we have, and their civilizations fell apart. If you want to destroy a nation, destroy the family unit, and society will fall. It's actually happening before our eyes. The standard of marriage was established by God, the family unit. And it will be destroyed if kids, and kids will grow up more confused if we do not keep pressing on with God's design. If the family is destroyed, the, the city will be destroyed. The city falls, the nation falls. And again, we've learned this from history already, so it's very interesting. We just have new labels for it, and we want to try it again. We think we've done it better. Legacy, the best thing you could ever do is get married, stay married, have a family if God wills. Raise your children to know God. Display the love of God in your marriage and family. The best thing you could ever do for the next generation. One of the statistics I didn't read there in the beginning, I'm actually going to rewind back to it because I just remember, let's see, yes, if your parents are happily married, your risk of divorce decreases by 14%. If your parents are happily married, your percentage of divorce decreases. Isn't that interesting? They set a good example. I did a wedding ceremony yesterday. I'm doing five in this season, yeah. A lot of people get married, it's exciting. I love weddings. And I walked up, this old couple walked up to me afterwards. They were probably in their 80s. And uh, they shook my hand and just said, thank you. Thank you for putting the Bible in your wedding ceremony. I thought to myself, you guys are, you guys are awesome. Who are you? Clearly, they'd been married probably 40 or 50 years. And they were grinning ear to ear as this couple was getting married, just blessed that God was going to bless them. Because you look into their eyes and they know how difficult it is. And how difficult it is in this day and age. I am telling you, marriage is the most difficult thing on the planet. More difficult than anything. Building a business, more difficult than anything to stay married. These dudes can build billions of dollars, but they can't stay married. To have a happy marriage is not easy. It takes time. It takes work. But, oh, I would also say that it is absolutely the most rewarding thing on the planet. And may God give us favor as a church and as a people who love him and serve him to leave a legacy in Los Angeles of marriage, family, that shows great love and great forgiveness to this world. Our marriage and family is to be a billboard to the whole world of God's love. Life is not easy, but I want to tell you there's a God who loves us and has brought forgiveness, and we can forgive each other like he's forgiven us. 
and we can love and serve each other like he's loved and served us. That is what marriage is for. It's to be a billboard to the whole world. And the family is the same. To love the kids, to bless them, and to raise another generation that worships him. Jesus defines marriage, then he says, look at verse 5. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Two things here when a marriage takes place. Number one, there is a relationship change. The man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. And the woman leaves her father and mother and cleaves to her husband, no longer attached to mom and dad. Of course, there's still a close relationship, but there is to be a closer relationship between the spouse, the spouses, and no one is to come between them. Nobody. Not any friends, not any family members. No one is to come between them. This is the most important relationship in their, wife, their life. Not even father and mother are to step in. And moms and dads, I would encourage you to step back. Still keep the relationship alive. Gosh, I hope that my kids want to be around me when I'm old. I want to hang out. I want to be over at their house. I'll be barbecuing every day, right? I just, I just left, and all of a sudden I pee. Hey, son, I'm back. Hey, how's it going? You guys okay? Dad, it's time to go. <laughs> okay, sorry, son. Hey, I'm back. Hey, you guys okay? I want to be involved in my kids' lives. I want to be involved in my grandkids' lives. I want to be deeply acquainted with all of that. But I also understand that they need to work on their problems themselves. They need to have a home unto themselves. They need to work through all the things themselves like I had, have had to and need to. It's important they have their own home, their own family, their own marriage, 100%. And so I can give advice, I think, to my kids in the future, but if one comes to complaining to me about their spouse, you know what I'm going to tell them? Go home. Sorry. Doors closed, my friend. You need to go seek God, and you need to go love your wife. Now get on. You see, I'm not going to help create bitterness and fester difficulty in their marriage. No, he is to leave and cleave. She is to leave and cleave. They are now one flesh, one person. Marriage is not a civil contract as our society has made it out to be. It's not just a tax write-off, friends. It is the binding, joining, and I like the word welding. Because when you weld material, when you take metal and weld it, the metals literally mix together so much so. They literally mix like liquid together, and they attach so much to one another that if you try to break them apart, you'll, you'll, you'll snap everything around it before you break that weld. It's like pouring blue water and red water together. Purple is made, and you can never extract every water droplet to get red or blue back. They have made a covenant with God, and Jesus says, what therefore God has joined together, welded together. <laughs> try to unweld that thing. Let not man separate. You try to break it, there's going to be a big problem. No one is to separate their relationship. Not another friend, not another relationship, not a father, a mother, not anyone, not even yourself. Let no man separate this, Jesus says. Not even you and your own marriage. God has brought you this marriage, and you are now welded together. There's no separating. If you try to break it apart, that's exactly what will happen. Everything will be a mess. We 
we have to have this mindset up front, and then we, lo we love differently during the relationship. We fight differently during the relationship. We think differently about everything if we have this idea up front. But if the idea up front is, well, if they do something wrong, I'm just going to bail. If you have that idea up front, you're probably going to bail. And so we need to have this mindset up front that I'm not leaving. I'm going down with this boat. I'm going down with this ship. I'm sinking. This whole thing, if it's going down, I'm going down with it. If you have that mindset, you will do whatever it takes to repair those holes, and you will repair them, and you will get on sailing. And you will see beautiful sunsets. If you choose to persevere, I'll never forget Mr. J, my math teacher in high school. He still sends me letters every single month to this day. I get one every month. He actually gives here to Legacy City Church. He doesn't even live in our state. He loves us. He's for us. Thankful for him. He was the best. I love math. It was my favorite subject. So we connected on that level. But he also took time with students. He was a Christian. He loved the Lord. He was the teacher who would actually do things like this. He knew he couldn't bring scripture into the classroom. So he would find famous quotes by presidents and people of history who were quoting scripture and he would put it on the board. Dude is so clever. He was a colonel in the Air Force as well. He rode his bike to school every single day. He was Mr. Rogers, I'm telling you. On Valentine's Day, he taught us about love and marriage and relationships. He taught us to open the door for a girl. He taught us the four F's that will cause divorce in a relationship. He said, make sure you have these in order before you get married. Your faith, their, their family, their finances, and that you are best friends. The four F's. What a genius. Then he pulled out two hearts, red and blue, and he super glued them together and let them dry while he, did, while he did his speech. And at the end of the class, he tried to rip them apart. He says, this is marriage. He tried to rip them apart. And of course, we watched them, this paper rip and rip and tear. And you could not rip them apart. And there are pieces everywhere. He says, this is marriage. So don't get a divorce. Stay married. Do whatever you can. Jesus was saying no to divorce. God hates divorce. And he always has. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, God says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. God's not okay with divorce ever. Even if it happens, he's not okay with it. It's the way that it is. Paul gave the picture in 1 Corinthians seven thirteen. if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Very interesting. That even if you, you, you got married as non-believers and then you came to know the Lord and then you're married to a non-believer but you're a Christian, if that non-believer wants to stay with you, you should stay with them and keep shining the light of Jesus as powerfully as you can and praying for them and loving them and serving them. And by God's grace, they will come to know the Lord. This is what Paul says is the better thing to do. It doesn't always work out, but he says this is probably the better way. This is what should happen. After Jesus took them to Genesis to establish the foundation and definition of marriage, look at how they respond to him. Verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Okay, if you're not supposed to get a divorce, then why did Moses say it's okay to give the certificate of divorce? Uh, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter four, uh, 24, verse 1, if you're taking notes. 
And I'll read it for you. It's just four verses. Listen, listen to the law of Moses on a certificate of divorce. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of, her, out of his house or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This is a law that was in the law of Moses of the 613 laws. This is Judaism. And uh, this, this was the procedure. And it's important that you know uh, first thing to notice, the law of Moses states nothing about adultery. Did you see that? When it comes to divorce, it, it actually said nothing about adultery there in the text because if someone committed adultery under the law of Moses, when God was president, when Judaism was over that state, um, divorce was not even an option because they stoned the person to death who did that. How do you divorce someone who is dead? You can't. Remember, the law of Moses was not only a spiritual law on how the priests were to operate the tabernacle and the sacrifices and offerings, but this was a law for society, and God was their president. This was a judicial law that could be brought to the courts. The purpose of this law was to keep divorce under control. It was not a blessing to forego it. Many times people think, if the Bible says something about a topic, it must be condoning it. Just because it's talking about divorce and a certificate of divorce, it must be condoning it. Not at all. We must look at the context. This was a judicial law created to control the process of divorce because it was happening so much even in Moses' day. Can you believe it? You see, in that day, men generally had a low view on women. And these men were just up and divorcing their wife for whatever reason or excuse they thought was necessary. Kind of sounds a lot like today. We mask it and call it irreconcilable differences. The men in that day would just leave their wife if they didn't like something that the woman and the kids did, and they would end up suffering greatly, and they'd be stranded. And that's not right. So God, through Moses, instituted a law to protect the woman. And so divorce was only supposed to be in place if it came to pass that their spouse was unclean in some way, according to the law of Moses, and it had been proven before two witnesses. So Moses' law did not give people a license to divorce. It actually restricted it greatly, and it shut down divorce in that day. If a man was to divorce his wife under the law of Moses because of uncleanness, and it was proven before two witnesses, he was then to give a certificate of divorce. Now, what is all this about, this certificate of divorce? It's important you know. It gives you full context, and legacy, you Bible students are going to be far ahead the rest of Christianity, Okay. Far more ahead than the rest of Christianity. Certificate of divorce, again, protected the woman. If a man divorces his wife for whatever reason he desires, like before, people could have accused her of adultery and put her to death. But the certificate protects her, showing that this all happened in the presence of two witnesses and that she's not guilty of adultery or any other unworthy accusation. 
The divorce certificate of Moses also established that the man who gave her the document is now not allowed to ever marry her again. Sorry, bud. That's your chance. And again, the certificate enables her to remarry anyone she would like. Moses says even if two, her second husband divorces her, she is allowed to remarry again, but she's not allowed to remarry and go back to her first husband. Why? Because God was making a marriage serious. It's not to be played with. If you divorce, you lose that person once and for all in that day so they would think long and hard before handing over that certificate of divorce. Do you see? We read the context and think like, oh, you can just give certificate of divorce, throw them around, no big deal. No, no. We need to understand context. And that principle is something we need to reflect on and apply in this day. Maybe you think sometimes, man, I wish I could get out of this marriage. Really? Are you sure? Many people think the grass is greener on the other side, but it's not. The grass is greener where you water it and where it's watered and taken care of. And you know what happens when you divorce and remarry? You start all over again. Yes, with a brand new person, with new problems and sin to work through from day one. That's the truth. People will go married seven years, get a divorce. They'll literally start all over and start the seven years all over again. Proverbs 5.17 says, the New Living Translation, Solomon, I love this, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourself, Solomon says. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's hard to dig a deep well. Anybody ever dug a well? Not with a machine, with your hands. Spending years working on it through problems with someone, learning to love them, sacrifice for them, enjoy life with them, creating memories and blessings of family, then turn around and walk away from the well, try to start again, start digging another well. Why would you walk away from a 100-foot well that produces water that God has given you? Well, I want to find a better well. Really? You got to start all over and you got to take that gamble and it may be it could be a better well potentially but oftentimes nine times out of ten if we've left the hundred foot well that's been established for ten years already we will lose those ten years and it doesn't mean that we get those ten years on the backside of our life now do we you don't get more years the memories are hard to forget, and that's why I preach to stay married to the very end. No matter what, that's God's commitment to you. He's going to stay with us no matter what now, isn't he? Is God leaving you anytime soon? No, I think he said very clearly, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to love you no matter what. That's the God we serve. He's powerful. He's awesome. His love takes over and moves us, and I'm thankful for it. it. Moves away the bitterness. We need more than ever in this day and age to start taking a stand for marriage. Gosh, you young people who aren't married yet, would you please just throw the anchor out? Get ready and say, you know what? Maybe you're saying, I'm not ready to get married today. That's fine. 
But when you're ready to get married, you throw that anchor out, you find the right person, you find the person God has for you, and when you throw that anchor out, you declare the words, till death do us part. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm never going to leave you no matter what. You choose to make that commitment to God and to one another, and you will bless your children and your children's children, and you will bless a hundredfold the people around you simply because of the commitment that you make to God and one another. Your light will shine brightly around you, even if it's a difficult marriage, even if it's not easy at times. I'm telling you, as you walk with the Lord, there are treasures of joy and happiness and peace along the way that few see at the top of that mountain. Please, we must start leaving a great legacy for the next generation or it's going to be gone. There is so much confusion that I see around us in the next generation. It is bizarre, and I'm telling you, we are headed in the wrong direction. And if someone doesn't stand up and throw out the anchor and say, I'm digging in for God's glory. I'm going to declare his forgiveness and grace like only he does to the whole world. Watch me. If we don't get on doing that, we're going to be in big trouble. But I want to add one more thing, legacy. I believe that you will, that you can, and that God has placed the spirit in you to already do this. How many of you have been married over 20 years already? Would you raise up your hand? You guys are awesome. Let's give them a hand, huh? Yes. Thank you. We need you. Teach us. Help us. The Pharisees missed the whole point about divorce. Let's look at verse 8 and 9 and we'll close. He said to them, because Jesus gave you the certificate of divorce, because Jesus gave you the certificate of divorce, because your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. It wasn't okay in the Garden of Eden. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Notice Jesus gives only one reason to possibly divorce. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. This only exception is the rule adultery but it is not promoted as if someone cheats you can bail but no it also gives the grounds for forgiveness and the opportunity to display the gospel and i've actually seen it in married relationships who are still married 30 40 years praise god not easy in the man or woman who has done such greatness may god bless them and give them favor all the days of their life because they're acting like god does and few in this generation do this. How often do we cheat on our God and run from him and worship other gods? Oh, often. How faithful are we to him? Oh, wow. And he can, remains married to us. He remains committed to us. Because Jesus said, what God has brought together, let no one separate. I've never seen anything ultimately good come from divorce. I take that back. Sometimes there are reasons why we should divorce, but they are very, very few. Most of the time, great destruction comes from us. One of the books I read on marriage, the author talked about how couples who get divorced and remarried sometimes secretly long to have a second chance with their first marriage 
because they discovered all the same problems again. I would tend to agree, especially if the marriage was made up of two Christians who really love the Lord. Given time, even separation can make the heart grow and sin fade. Of course, if it was a worldly destructive marriage not built on Christ, built on abuse and selfishness, it could be a good thing to separate and divorce. Okay? The only other reason we see in the Word of God to divorce is abandonment. The Apostle Paul points it out. When a spouse up and leaves and never comes back, I would add physical abuse is another reason uh, God would not want a person to stay in a marriage. But nine times out of ten, I'd encourage a couple to stay married, Christian couple. But when one of these major issues comes up and it's clear there is no forgiveness on either side and more damage has happened, sometimes it's better to separate and then divorce. But it won't come without damage no matter what. It's just the truth. The gospel tells us this. We were in relationship with God. We sinned against him. It broke the relationship off. Jesus came and died for our sins of what we did to God to bring forth forgiveness and grace and bring us back into relationship with God. You know what we do in marriage relationships? We are together in relationship. We sin against each other. It breaks the relationship. Then we are to look to the cross and look to Christ, and we can do one of two things. We can see that he was punished for our sin and their sin and offer forgiveness, or we can turn around and say, no, no, I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to punish you instead of letting Christ take the punishment. You only have two options in a relationship. You're going to punish or you're going to forgive. And that's really it. It's really that simple. That is the key. True love is actually nonstop forgiveness, and that's the love that God has for us. That is the parable of the man who owed all the money to the king, and he forgave him of everything. That was just our last passage, and Jesus chooses to bring forth the next talk about divorce. It's amazing. Two scriptures, and we'll end. Are you ready? We're going to step into communion, reflect on the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am all you need. Be content in me, he's saying. Psalm 86, 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. I hope that we as a church, Legacy, are you okay? Is your seatbelt still in place? You okay? Did you get in any car accidents along the way? Maybe. It's okay. You can see why I share this with you. Uh, I, I, I don't like that being the spiritual doctor at times. It's like I tell people they have cancer spiritually. This is not fun. But we need to do corrective surgery, and the corrective surgery is before the Lord. And he gets to do it in our hearts. And I hope, please, that you are strengthened by this sermon. And that it brings more clarity to your mind. That you can understand the repercussions that come long term, both good and bad. And that's why whether you've been divorced or you're married now or you're single, that you would think through what God has for you now. And that you would set your mind on him. And that he would bless you. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to go before the Lord in communion. We're going to worship. And we're going to be refreshed and restored in this moment. So let's go before him now. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please, Father, would you meet us in this place as we turn to you now in communion. 
as we turn to you in worship, as we turn to you with our hearts and minds, Father, I pray something supernatural would happen, that we would first have communion with you, and that we would have communion with one another as we worship, as we hear your word, as we think about the elements, as we reflect on what you've done for us, that transformation would take place in our hearts. Oh God, would you do what only you can do? We need your love. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. And we need to reflect on it during this time. Bless our time as we worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.